And so this morning, Scripture will challenge us as we look at verse 13 through verse 13, it will challenge us to examine, to examine what temptation looks like and who is being tempted and who is tempting us and what do we think about that. And so let's pick up in verse 13. And James writes, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own evil lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brethren, for every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. In the, in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruit among His creation. Let's dive right into it. Look at verse 13 with me. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. If a believer responds in faithful obedience to God's word, he will successfully endure trials. Remember earlier in chapter 1, James says this, let us endure its perfect result so that it may be perfect or may be complete, that we may be mature, that we may lack in nothing. But if the believer succumbs to the flesh, doubting God and disobeying, he is tempted by sin. So the right response leads us to spiritual maturity, spiritual endurance. And the wrong response leads us to sin. And then sin to death. So James says this, let no one say to himself when he is tempted, he is being tempted by God. The very idea is outrageous. James is saying, let, let's take a minute and think about who God is. And I love this phrase, it says, I am being tempted by God. Let's look at the word by for a minute. Sometimes the smallest words have the most impact in Scripture when we really examine what they mean. And so here it says, I am being tempted by God. And a little English lesson for you guys, it's a preposition, a preposition that sits before either a noun or a pronoun, and it describes or its relationship to the noun. And so we're looking at by, and by is translated in two different ways here in the Greek. One, it means of or from. It carries the, the idea that it's remote or distant. And the other is that it is often translated as it's the direct agency that it's in relation to. And so when we think about this, that it's either distance or it's, or it's related to, James is saying here, in no way, he says, let in no one say to himself when he is tempted, he's being tempted by God. And so what he's saying here is that, therefore, no one should ever say that God is either indirectly or directly involved in our temptation. He's not indirectly or directly. That evil cannot exist with God. That they live in two separate rooms. And so James is challenging us to think on the nature of evil. And he goes on in verse four, at the end of verse 13, he says, God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. And in other words, the nature of evil is inherently foreign to God. It's foreign. 
And so God and evil cannot exist in the same way. Now God is aware of evil, but He's untouched by it. We have to remember that. He's aware of it, but He's untouched by it. So who is responsible? Here's the question. Who is responsible? Look at verse 14. The nature of man. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. But each one. This is a universal term. There is no one that is immune. No one is immune to sin. No one immune to lust, to the nature of lust. God is not responsible for our temptation to sin, but it's our own nature. And I love this word. It says carried away and enticed. And it's that meaning in Greek of, dra of dragging away. And then enticed is this. It's, it's a fishing term. Obviously it would be used in the Jewish community. There's a lot of fishing going on. But it's a fishing term of, of baiting of enticing, of baiting someone to hook them and pull them, pull their prey from safety. So it's a fishing term here. And he says, but each one of us is tempted when he is carried away, when he is dragged away or is enticed by his own evil desires. We will succumb to temptation when our own lust draws us out. When our own lust draws us out from the fleshly things that appeal to us. So the problem is at the core of you and I. The problem is not God, but it's us. And Paul explains this in Romans 7.18, if you're taking notes. He says, For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. In today's culture, we often think of lust as the sexual desires, the sexual temptation. But in the Greek term, listen to what it means. Listen to what lust means. It refers to a deep, strong desire to, of longing of anything good or bad. You hear that? Notice that. Good or bad. For whatever reason, our minds tend to wonder, and probably because we've been trained like this since we were born, that there's good and bad, and these are a list of things we should and should not do, but our mind is drawn to those things, and we think automatically this is what lust is, this is what desire is, this is what temptation is. But when James pins this, he says, no, it's good and bad things. And I know we could run through our list of bad things, but don't be fooled by the good things. And what do I mean by that? Church. Church is good, right? But it can be so evil. It can be so evil when we allow our own, our own lust, our own desires to reflect what the church should look like and not what the Word says it should look like. When we bring our priorities before God and not look to His. And so church can be a bad thing. Ministry can be a bad thing. Family, marriage, those things can be bad. Sports, job, work, you name it. And so what... I love what Driscoll says. He says a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a God thing. And that's what James is saying. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. When we can put those things, we can take what is so good and turn it into something that can be so evil. Because we have a desire to lust for those things. A home is okay to have. 
But if our goal is to have the dream home and the fancy cars, then there's a problem. There's a problem. And so in verse 15, James talks about the nature of lust. He says, then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And so the proof that God is the source of temptation is seen in the nature of lust. That he's not, I'm sorry. The proof that God is not is in the nature of lust. And I love, it's a heart thing. And so James takes this first thought of fishing and hunting and kind of this enticing and this dragon is pulling out. And then he moves into childbirth. And he's talking about lust. He's talking about the nature of lust. And he says that, that our sin is going to evolve into something that could eventually kill us or destroy us. So this is serious. This is something we don't take lightly. Read again with me. Verse 15, it says, Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Before salvation, all people were slaves to lust. I love what Ephesians 2, 1 says. Let me read it. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all familiar live in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You heard that? He says lust. He says that we live in the lust of our flesh. The desires of our mind. We were children of wrath. And so there's a process here. And for you to help better understand this process, there's four D's or, or words. And then a lot of times I don't use that, but it was a cool illustration I found. And so I love this idea of the four D's, and it starts with desire. And so when we look at Scripture, when we look at what James is writing here, James says that each one of us is tempted. We are carried away and we're enticed by our own evil desires. It starts with desire. The process starts with us as we desire things of the flesh. But the problem is, is that we don't understand that that desire will kill us. It entices us and it feels good and looks good, but eventually it could kill us. And so the second part is deception. And this is where it starts. Uh, I think we've all been there at some degree or some point, but we start to question. We start to question, is, is God good enough? Is He looking out for me? What's so wrong with this? Deception creeps in. And it's this mind game. Just like in Ephesians, when, when Paul writes, he says, it's Indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So in our mind, we start to rationalize justification. We start to rationalize how we can justify this desire. Well, it's okay. I'm only going to do it this many times. I'll never do it again. Let me just try it. Whatever it may be. And so we rationalize and we're deceived. And we're deceived by our lust. And our lust is the enemy that is within us. And so at this stage, we're in danger. We're in danger because we start to justify our efforts to having whatever the desire is. 
And then James says, the lust has conceived. Sin is given life. It has been born. It starts to form. It starts to grow in us. Our desires become our deceptions. And then it leads to disobedience. And our disobedience is simply our acting upon our desires. Simply, we act upon those desires. We desire, we deceive, we justify it in our mind, and then we act. And here's the last part. Death. Desire, deception, disobedience, and death. This is the result of our disobedience. Remember, James is writing to the Jewish Christian church. He's writing to believers here. And so when he speaks of death, he's speaking this to the believers. He's saying that you could die. That seems harsh, but listen to what the Scripture says as we read through. Listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthians who were taking the Lord's Supper. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. He says, For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number are asleep. Or in Greek, it says, have died. It says, you have died. And then John also reminds us that every believer there is a sin that leads to death. In verse 16, it says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin leading to death, he shall ask God, he shall ask, and God will forgive him and give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. But there is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should Make a request for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. And so the idea here is that if we persist in a pattern of sin, if we were habitually sinning, it will lead to death. And there are three kinds of death. There's a physical death, a spiritual death, and there's an eternal death. And by God's grace, we are saved from a spiritual and eternal death. But if you consistently fall into the habits of sin, there could be a physical death awaiting you. That sounds hard, but God is just, and He is good, and He is serious about sin, and He is serious about the sin, the lust that lives within you. He says, because it will conceive, it will give life, it will form, and it will kill you. But here's the good news. The nature of God. Good verse 17. It says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. Finally, James declares that God is not responsible for our temptation. He made it clear in verse 13, but here he declares, he says, Every good thing, every good thing, every perfect gift, comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. His nature is incomparable to the nature of sin. Incomparable. God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is love. So what comes from God? What, what can come from God? Everything good. Everything perfect. Because He is perfect. He is good. And so in those things that we think are bad, and those things that we think are hard, and those trials, they're good. They're for your good. 
And it says, coming down from the Father of Lights. Father of Lights was an ancient Jewish title for God, referring to Him as Creator, referring to Him as the giver of life through sun, moon, stars. This was that idea that they said the Father of Lights. But just like that source will fade away, our Father of Light will never, will never fade away. And so that's where he says, he adds this to the end of it. He says, for the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, there is no shifting, he's not going to fade away. Just like the Jewish ancient gods that would, our God will not. He will not fade away. And so let's read our Lord's promise in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11. Beautiful scripture, beautiful promise. And Matthew pens this. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you? When his son asks of a loaf, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give he will give him a snake. If then, being evil, know how to give if you, I'm sorry, if you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask of him? Just I read this the other day, I'm just thinking. This last is verse eleven. If you then who are evil and those who have children think what we do for our think what we do for our children, and we have this in us. We have this enemy within us. It says, "Being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more? How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give you what is good to those who ask of Him?" This is our promise. This is where we have to lie within the persecution, within the trials, within the temptation, within the suffering. That we don't blame God, that we don't shift our mind to think that God is somehow punishing me, but that we persevere. And I love the word in the ESV that we stay steadfast, that we move through the trial with our eyes focused on Christ. So in the end, we will draw strength, we will draw encouragement, we will unify the body, and we'll bring glory to the Father. And then finally, verse 18. James chapter 1, verse 18, it says, In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruit among His creation. Wow, the beauty of the gospel. Let me read what MacArthur writes. He says, Because fallen man's problem is eternal, the solution to his problem must be eternal. There is no... External ritual, ceremony, rite, profession, or action that can change his basic evil nature. He cannot become righteous by trying to act righteous or talk righteously. He needs an entirely new heart, a new nature, a new being. He needs to be recreated, changed from his old nature of sin and death to a new nature of holiness and life. For without holiness or sanctification, no one will see the Lord. And so in this first point, the first verse, first part of verse 18, it says, In the exercise of His will, 
Who does this? Christ. It says in the exercise of His will, it's Him that regenerates us. It's, all, it's holy Him. It's only Him that can do that. And because we are a new creation, He satisfies everything. It's not the world that satisfies us, but it's Him that satisfies us. And I love what they write about Augustine. It says, after Augustine's conversion, a woman he formerly lived with called him as he was walking down the street, but he did not answer. So she persisted and finally ran up to him and said, Augustine, it is I. He says, I know, but it is not I. How do we get there? How do we get there? This is how. In verse 18, the second part, it says, and in the first part, it says, He exercised his faith of his will. He brought us forth. What is it? It's a new life. In the meaning, bring forth, in the, in the, in the, in the Greek, the verb renders to give birth. He gives you a new life, that he, that he regenerates you, that you are a new creature. So, how does this happen? By the word of truth. Look at verse 18, it says, by the word of truth. This is how it happens. That the Scripture draws us to His holiness. That we and we are a people that live out His purpose, that live out His purpose and promises in Scripture, that we are obedient to that. He draws us near. He draws the world near. Why is this done? Look at verse 18. So that we would be, as it were, the first fruits among His creation. We implies all believers. First fruit, we know that means the crop, the best. That we would be the first. That we would be the regenerate people through Christ and that we would have the first fruits of eternity. That when the new creation, the new earth, the new heaven, the ultimate recreation would be ours. And so in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruit among His creation. And so as the band comes back up, this is our response. This is our response, not only today, but every day when we think about facing temptation. It's faith. It's faith that God is able to satisfy our every desires with that which is perfect and good. That our desires won't drag us away, that it won't entice us, that we won't be tricked by the lust that is within inside of us, that we won't be deceived, but that we will hold on to His promises, that which are true. And so our deceptions won't lead us to disobedience, and so our disobedience won't lead us to death. Let me pray. Father, God, I pray God, that you give me a peace, that you give me faith that finds comfort in your promises, that every good and perfect gift comes from above, and not the lust of my flesh, that I don't give in to the enemy that is within us all. Father, there's so much out there. 
that we face every day as believers. There's so much temptation. There's so many trials. And God, I pray that our heart and our mind is focused on the things to come. And that inspires us to live today in a way that brings glory to your name. In a way that allows us to persevere these trials and not point the finger to God and not question His plan or His actions. But to persevere, be steadfast. So that when the world looks at us, when you've put us on display to the world, that they see Christ in me. See Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's not by my will. Your will. For I'm nothing without this. So God, allow us to have the mind of Christ and not blame you, but get real about the sin, about the nature of lust, it has every potential to destroy who we are. Allow us to get real about that. Fight that battle. So that we can glory to the Father. In your name we pray. Amen.